Our scripture reading is from Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Read, read verse 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 14, verse 4 and 5. Hear the word of the Lord. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let us go to the Lord, that he will bless the preaching and receiving of his word. Heavenly Father, we come before a holy God who has spoken, and through your word you have created the heavens and the earth, and through your word you have made us new. We ask that you would speak to our hearts with this unworthy vessel, that you be glorified, that Christ be exalted, that all of his beauty and majesty will be seen this morning, that Christ, the crucified one, the risen one, the ascended one, the one who's seated upon his throne, the lamb that which was slain, may we see his beauty and majesty this morning, that we will cast our crowns before you, that Christ, oh, that you will be exalted. Oh, we love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There are so many commentators about our culture, people who talk about what's wrong with the world. There are so many preachers who speak about what is wrong with the world, spend hour each Sunday telling us what's wrong with the world. And something is wrong with the world. Matter of fact, it's something's been wrong with the world since the, since the fall. So what's new? Are you shocked that something is wrong with the world? Are you shocked by transgenderism and homosexuality, the sexuality question, and all the crazy things that's going on in the world? Are you shocked? I'm not. The moment when devil said, did God really say, and Adam took up the fruit and willfully violated the commandment of the Lord, the world is fallen. There's nothing new under the sun. But I do believe that job of a preacher is not make a commentary about what's, what's in the world, but really to preach about what's wrong with the church in some ways. What are some things that need to be done in our own lives, in my life? How does the Word of God convict you? If the preaching, only thing it does is make you nod and say, yeah, that is what's wrong with the world, then I think he has failed to proclaim the Word of God. The Word of God is a mirror to your face that reveals to you how filthy you are how wicked I am, how we deserve hell and condemnation. And yet by grace, Christ, it saved us. You can certainly make comments about what's wrong with the world outside because there are things of the world that's sipping into the church inside, the world outside and their ideas, their thoughts, their behavior, their patterns of life and the desires of their hearts often intrude into the church inside. And the goal of preaching, I believe, is that the church inside would intrude the outside, the world out there. 
that by conviction of the word of God, you're convicted by its power and glory, that you go out and say to the world that Christ is risen. Please recognize this. We're not moralists. I'm not here to change gay person to be heterosexual. I'm here to say to sinners, repent and believe. I'm not here to the social war or whatever that is going on. I'm not here to change society. I'm here to merely proclaim Christ, him crucified. Because all that is just a distraction. And church, my hope is that we will not be distracted by those things, but rather they will put our focus and gear in the right place. Our eyes will be fixed on the right things. Because there are things that seem right that I think so often is not what we are to pursue. So Bay Haven, I love you. You guys have a special place in my heart. And my prayer for you is that you not deviate from the truth. And my hope is that the word of God would convict you, that the spirit of risen Christ would call you to follow hard after him. So the text this morning is from Revelation chapter 14. This text I've been kind of struggling and working through for the past couple months, just thinking about what this text is really saying to us. I love book of Revelation. I was hoping that I could preach from book of Revelation when I was down in Naples, but alas, my pastor has already started preaching from book of Revelation. I was thinking, I'm going to preach, because I finished Genesis series, and I thought after finishing Genesis, I was like, yes, I'm going to go to the end of the book. It's like I finished everything, right? But he already did, so I couldn't, so now I'm here, then I can now here preach from the book of Revelation. It's a little selfish of me, but I do believe the word of God, I hope this edifies and this strengthens and encourages you. Book of Revelation is a picture book. It's not a a book telling you about what's going to happen in the future, though it has that component. But it's really a picture book. It's a vision. It's, it's an imagery. And it's a layers of imagery after imagery to overwhelm you with a picture book. Have you ever seen a good picture book that you're just still captured by the book, by the picture that you don't even get to see the words? That's a good picture book. I love picture books because I don't like reading. And good picture book makes you just think about the picture. You're noticing all these things like Waldo. You know, you're looking at it like, oh, you'll notice all the other things. That's what a good picture book is. And book of Revelation is really a picture book to tell you who Christ is, all of his beauty and all of his majesty, what he has done. It is not a book to tell you what's going to happen in the future, but it is a book to tell you Christ has won. The lamb that which was slain is the Lion of Judah, that he has overcome the world. Then the question then is how does this picture book encourages us to move forward in our walk with the Lord? Because John the Baptist, John, the Apostle John, is writing this book while the church is being persecuted, while he himself is being persecuted. And as he's receiving the vision, he's writing this as the final book of the Bible, closing the canon of the revelation of God to declare to the church, look, there much tribulation on earth but I have peace. I've granted you and given you peace in midst of tribulation and in midst of your battle, in midst of this war, you need to know this. You need to see this. So think of it as a picture book. It's not telling you about what's going to happen, 
but it's telling you the reality, the spiritual reality of what's going on right now. Now, chapter 14 here is a very specific location here because chapter 13, he has this idea of beast, the first and the second beasts. And the interesting about second beast, the second beast, he says in verse 11, chapter 13, verse 11, says this, and then I saw, John says, and I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon, and he exercised all authority over the beast of the presence, its presence. The idea here, the second beast has a shape and form of a lamb. You see that? I just read the verse. It's a lamb. And it's a false lamb. It's not a lamb that saves. It's not a lamb that sheds the blood to find forgiveness for sinners. It's not a lamb that's been sacrificed. It's not a lamb of God, but it's a lamb of Satan. That in reality, it is a dragon, and he speaks like it. And that's the backdrop here, the beasts and the battle and the, and the woman and the dragon. And this, within this beast, and the Satan is not thrown down, and the beast is coming up, and the second beast looking like the lamb. And then chapter 14 now declares to you the true lamb, the lamb of God. Verse 1, then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the lamb. The lamb. And he says, with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like a roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. We looked at Revelation 5 earlier. It has this idea of the lamb. Chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And verse 13, it says, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. It's this Lamb that which was slain in chapter 5. That Lamb now it is, he is, please understand, standing on Mount Zion. Not sitting, but standing on this heavenly Mount Zion. It's not earthly Mount Zion. It's not somewhere in Jerusalem, but it's a heavenly. And he's having this vision of the Lamb and what's going on in the heavens. And there's 144,000 saints. It's, it, this is a symbolic number of the completion of God's people. And they're proclaiming and they're singing. And the voice is, is, is roaring of his glory. Please understand the imagery here. What's going on? Just like Isaiah chapter 6, what's going on? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as Seraphim proclaims of his beauty and majesty, the earth shook because the robe filled the entire heavenly, invisible temple. And so it is John sees the glory of Christ as the lamb that which was slain. Now he's standing on Mount Zion and he's receiving the glory that he deserves. The context is a new song, the song the only the elect can know, the one who's been redeemed by that blood of the Lamb. And in verse 4 and 5, describes to us who those saints are. In this great vision of God that John is having, in that heavenly realm of praise and glory where the Lamb is standing on Mount Zion, 
and he hears the worship, and the descriptor of the description of God's elect are these. Number one, it says, verse one, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. He says the primary characteristic of the elect, of the saints, of the one who proclaims the beauty and the majesty of the Lamb, first of all, is undefiled. Undefiled. Those who are virgins, those who have kept themselves pure. Church, purity. Purity. We don't use that word anymore, do we? Purity. Do you think about your life in the terms of purity, clean and unclean, defiled or sanctified? That's what it means to be a saint, isn't it? To be holy, to be set apart, to be cleansed and washed and dedicated unto something else. It's uncommon. It's not for common use, but it's a sanctified use. It's a life that is pure, Pure not only in the sense of without blemish, but pure in the sense it's dedicated to one cause. Like a virgin who's dedicated to her groom to keep that purity. The importance of virginity is not more moral issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a dedication issue. It's a covenant issue. To whom you belong to issue. And here... It's undefiled by the things of this world, things that easily tangles us. Let me ask you this. Is your life a life that pursues purity? Purity of the heart, purity of the mind, purity of the eyes, purity of the desires, purity. Are you pursuing to be pure in your words, in your thoughts? Have you ever considered that? There is a great theologian named on Hodge, Charles Hodge, and one of the things that I found so interesting is he cursed once in his life. Once in his life. And he, and he said he didn't even know why he said it. And his brother was there, and he said, why'd you say that? He said, I don't know. And I thought to myself, man, that's pretty pure. <laughs> I mean, I have, a po- I have had potty mouth. And sometimes I, don't, I may not say it, but I may think it. The purity of thought, purity of words. Please understand the word purity. It means you get a cup of water, a pure water from Costco or I don't know where you go, Publix. Pure water, purified water. Have you ever gotten those? And then you put a little, just a grain of salt. It is at that moment no longer pure. Purity. That's what it means to be Pure. It's not just I'm better than him. I just have less salt. I'm less salty than that person. No, it means pure. The absolute standard of purity. Saints of the Lord Jesus Christ, is your life marked with purity? Is there such a drive and desire to be pure, to be undefiled? I love children. I love playing with them. I love messing with them. I just make, I love making fun of them. That's a joy of my life. I don't want the responsibilities of children, but I just want to babysit your kids and make fun of them, right? And there are some kids that just loves getting messy. 
They have no qualms about things on their faces. There's no qualms about things on their hands. And, you know, they get something on their hand, they go, and they have no qualms about it. And then there are kids, you get a little thing on their hand, they're like, ugh, 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 can I go wash my hands? I prefer dirty, actually, but, you know, their kids are always like, can I wash my hands? I'm like, this is fourth time going to the bathroom, eating the burger. Come on now. Are you, you see, that child knows what it means to be pure. He doesn't want any filth in his hands. And that feeling of it, that, 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 that reality of it just bothers him. And the question is, saints, when impure thoughts, and when there's defilement that enters in your heart, in your mind, in your relationships, that you have ungodly and unholy thoughts of anger and rage or deceitfulness or covetousness, does that make you say, oh, I've been dirtied and filth has entered into my heart? Does it make your hair just stick up because you say, I just touched the most disgusting thing? Remember when I did youth ministry for a while, I took, we took kids to skiing trip. It's up in north. And I remember I went and this, we had a bunch of little ones, probably maybe Sam's age, I think he was, and I was sitting in the bus, we took a bus, and I was sitting on the bus, and there's one kid over here, he ate something, and then he looked at me like, and I said, oh no, and I just literally just went like this, and he threw up everything in front of me. He had some sushi or something, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. Ugh. And I just like, I just went up, and I looked at it, and I was like, I thought I was going to throw up. <laughs> good, good thing I didn't eat, eat breakfast that morning. But that filth doesn't make you gag. Doesn't make you go, just, just make you just cringe. Does when people say in Christ's name in vain, does it make you just cringe? That how dare they speak the Lord's name in vain? Is there such a passion for purity, church? And yet, the ones who hear the good song and are able to sing this new song before the throne of heaven. These are, verse 4, who have not defiled themselves with the woman, but they're virgins. It's a hard saying. Second point, going to continue on in the verse, says this, it is these, talking about 144,000, these have been redeemed from mankind, oh, sorry, sorry, it is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Second characteristic of the lamb, of the ones who are singing the praise of this glorious lamb, is the ones who follow wherever he goes. He's the one who, pu- who pursues purity, who lives a pure and undefiled life, and also the one who follows the lamb. We looked at earlier in Luke. Jesus said, follow me. Follow the lamb wherever he goes. Is your life a life that pursues Christ? Not just, oh, Jesus died for me. Yeah. Or is it a life that follows him? Is it a life that picks up the cross daily? Daily, Luke says. Not just, oh, I picked it up one time. A lot of people use it as an imagery of, oh, you know, he's my cross, my husband. (laughs) You hear that? That's not what it is. 
Because crucifixion means self-sacrifice. Crucifixion is the one who carries the cross is the one that needs to die. It's not a burden to bear. It's not a burden. Cross is a death sentence. When Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me daily, he's saying, die. Be crucified. Be crucified to the world, for I have been crucified with Christ. Be crucified to yourself and your desires, your ambitions. Are you dying to yourself? To pick that cross up. Putting that nail in every day. The moment you wake up, you're crucifying. Are you living a crucified life that follows the Lamb? Now, I say it like I'm angry (laughs) because I'm screaming. But how can you not? When your Lord, when your Savior, He was crucified. Gladly, willingly, lovingly, passionately, He was crucified. Matter of fact, I may even call it his, since his birth was a process of him carrying his cross to the Calvary. The whole humiliation of Christ, his incarnation to his crucifixion was a long step that's been measured before the time began, before the foundation of the world, that God the Father had ordained for the Son and decreed from eternity to eternity that the Son is to be crucified. And church, the 144,000, the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ, their lives are marked by following the Lamb wherever He goes. Are you willing to go wherever He goes? Are you willing to go wherever he leads? Is he your great shepherd? Because he will take you through the valley of the shadow of death. Indeed, he will take you through it to bring you to the green pastures, and yet he carries you through the valley of the shadow of death. Just like when the Spirit was falling upon Jesus after he was baptized, where did the Spirit lead him? To the wilderness. So it is, Follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Behaven, I fear for your soul. You know why? Because you're in South Tampa. You're just too much. Too much material goods. And yet Christ's the one who said, it is easy, easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And people want to justify, oh, this is not what he's saying, this is what he's saying. No, it is what it is saying. You know why? Because look at the history of Israel. Every time there is an affluence and richness and fatness enters in, you know what goes out the window? Following hard after the Lord. With the comfort of life comes ease. And with that ease, Maybe I don't need to follow the Lord. Maybe I don't need to pick up that cross daily. Maybe I'm pretty good because my life is pretty good. Ironically, we believe no longer in the day of judgment, but we believe in karma. I must be good because my life is going pretty good. I submit to you, that's a lie from hell. 
and I fear for you. I really do. Because there's so much affluence, and yet there's no fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Christ's call to you is follow him. And the mark of the church, do you follow the Lamb wherever he goes? That career, that house, that marriage, that spouse, that children, that opportunity. Hey, young little ones here, my young men and women here, I fear for you, not because transgenderism, not because of this whole question of sexuality and identity. You know what I fear for you? That you're too rich for Christ. That you see no need of him. That you don't see crucified Christ lovely. That you have no desire to follow after him. You see, do you see Christ, the Lamb that which was slain, as the most beautiful, most majestic? Does he capture your mind and heart that you wake up and you are captured by his beauty and majesty? That you say, the Lord died for me. The Lord laid down his life for unworthy, filthy, wicked men like me. Does he wake you and dance, make you dance, even though I'm a lousy dancer? That in your boxers where nobody's watching, you go, yeah. Does the Lord and what Christ has done and the walk that he walked, does he capture you and mesmerize you and say, I want to follow him? Or do you say, I like my bed, I like my room, I like the food that I have, I like the comforts of life, I don't want to lose it. I know I'm saying some harsh things this morning. But church, be careful. There is devil roaring like a lion. And he's throwing all that he has against you, church. Follow the lamb wherever he goes. So 144 saints, these are who have not defiled themselves. These are those who follow the lamb wherever he goes. And these are the first fruits of God first fruits for God and the Lamb, for in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. These are the ones who are blameless, above reproach. Is your life to be blameless, to be above reproach? Is that the pursuit of your life? It's not legalism here. It's not saying, oh, I cannot talk to you in a room by myself because you're a woman and I'm a man and I cannot do this. It's not that kind of above reproach, but it's blameless in the fact that you're pursuing not only to be pure, not only to be crucified with the Lord, but it's a life that is honorable, a life that pursues the things of God. There's a difference between a moralist and the one who pursues the things of the Lord the one who is truly blameless. There's no lie that was found in his lips. That his words, when he says yes, means yes. When he says no, means no. And that's the pattern of his life. That what you see outside is what you see inside, and what you see inside is what you see outside. A blameless man, honorable man. Blameless. 
Is what's going on in your home, is that what's going on outside? I've learned over the years that church, sadly, can be a place where we all play a little game, a little dance, a little swing. You change the partner and you do the little dance. And for that time of dancing, you have a little chit-chat and you talk about your life and your life is perfect. And then you move on to the next person and you live a little shallow and you live a little talk. And it's just like an Instagram, isn't it? Kind of show the best picture now. <laughs> but is what you see is what you get. Blameless. There's no lie. Are you open? Church is messy because people are messy. Down in Naples, we have some crisis going on. There are some marriages are being broken up, adultery is going on, drug use is happening, and all these crazy stuff. And I'm sure, possibly, that is going on here too. And the fact of the matter is that mess is part of who we are. And it's the pretense of I'm better than what I am is a lie. Because I think what brings great fear to me as a minister of the gospel or wanting to be the minister of the gospel is that I'll be in sin and I'll be more quick to hide it rather than to expose it and to seek repentance. And we've recently seen in our presbytery one of our brothers have done exactly that, a minister. Broken churches, broken families, and the fact of the matter is that's just where we are. When you hide, when you put, put a lie, and church, devil is the father of lies. And the saints walk a life that has no lies, but lives a life that is blameless. So here it is, the three marks of the saints, 144,000, that knows the new song and brings the praise of the glory of the Lamb that which was slain, is that he's seeking to be pure, and he follows the Lamb wherever he goes by picking up the cross and following him, and in him, in his mouth, there is no lie, the one that is true in all of their lives. And that's a call to you. That's a simple call. He's not telling you to be rich. He's not telling you to be educated. He's not telling you to get a degree. He's not telling you to have a good, hus good wife and good family or good husband. He's not telling you to build your life this way, build your life that way. It's very simple. Pursue purity, pursue Christ, and pursue to be true. And in the midst of this call, it's a very simple call. It's a simple call that a rich can follow and a poor can follow, educated can follow and uneducated can follow, haves and have-nots, all of them, Gentiles, the Greeks, the Jews, the rich and poor, the masters and the slaves, all is called to this simple calling to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Just simple. Just simple. I think so often in a Reformed church, it's all about the theology, you know? No right thing to say. We're better than that church because they have guitars and fog machines and they don't sing hymnals. If that's the only thing that makes us as Christians, that's pathetic. The Lord's call is simple. Purity, crucifixion, self-denial, and honorable living. So it is. 
church, you're called to this call. But can I be real with you here? I'll be very real. I don't fit any of these three. <laughs> I wish I was pure. I wish I was pure in my thought and my heart and my deeds, and yet, psh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, and I know there's nothing but sin in my heart. I want to be pure, but I'm not. Have you ever woke up from your bed and you sweat a little bit and then you realize, I stink. I stink. I'm not that pure. There's so much filth. And yes, I should die to myself, and yet I am pretty well alive. <laughs> Tell you that. I don't want to give up. I don't want to let go. I mean, I don't. And I don't even have a spouse. We don't want to let go. I don't. And I notice it every day that I am not dying to myself. Not daily. Not even weekly. And indeed, I'm not true to my words, nor am I living a life that's honorable to the Lord. No, I don't follow the Lord as hard as I ought to and I should. So often I am always walking to the sideways and byways. I'm an idiot. But the beauty of this text, please recognize this. Look at end of verse 4. It says, these have been redeemed from mankind as the first fruits for God and the Lamb. You see, there is certain sense that we pursue to be pure, we pursue to follow Christ, crucifying ourselves. There's a sense in which we're to live an honorable and God-honoring, blameless life. And yet the very ground cause of it, very root of it, is because Jesus Christ, the pure one of Israel, the Lamb which followed the path that has been set before him by the Father, the one who lived a perfect and honorable and blameless life where there was no lie in his lips, the Lamb was crucified and he shed his blood to redeem you as his own. It's not merely that we pursue these things, it's because the Lamb has redeemed you and made you pure by his blood. Because the Lord has washed you. Like Ezekiel 16 that he has taken the filth and he just put salt on it and cleaned it and washed it and put clothes on it. He purified you, not with the blood of another lamb, but blood of his own blood. The lamb that was slain, he has redeemed you. He has made you pure. He's the one who's carrying you as a shepherd who leads his flock. He is the one who's guiding and directing and protecting and governing and ruling over you. He's the one who's protecting you from the vials of the devil. And he's the one who's making you true and blameless by his own blood. By covering you with his righteousness and his goodness and his honorableness. And when he covers you up, you're nothing but blameless before the eyes of God his imputed righteousness that's granted to you because he has taken your sin, your filth, and you have been crucified because he's been crucified. So it is church. Those who are impure, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and find yourself pure. Those who doesn't have strength to run hard today. And that sin that so often tangles us, come to the Lord and He'll give you strength to your feeble arms and weak knees that you may get up, that you may follow. All who are weary, all who are just so burdened by sin, come. Come to the table, come to the Lord who's been crucified. Come and eat and drink of the Lamb of God. Follow where He is. That's all we need. That's all we need. So church, come to the Lord. Follow Him because He calls you this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before a holy God who has sanctified us by your blood through your word and spirit. Lord, we ask that you bless us with more of you. Though the calling is high and great, and yet, Lord, our eyes are not fixed upon ourselves, but to the Lamb. So, Lord, help us to follow you, and we thank you. We thank you for the Lamb that which was slain. And we ask that you would receive the reward of your sufferings in our lives. May his name be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.